Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's your boy Johnny Bananas, and I'm going to be covering a brand new season of the Challenge USA on CBS that, of course, I will be completely dominating on my podcast, Death Taxes and Bananas, on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. Head over to that feed and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back, everyone, to The Pod Has Spoken, where we talk about all things Survivor and some things life uh, with uh, an expert at life and a, I mean, I would say, you know, amateur student of the game of Survivor, Riley uh, McAtee. Riley, are you, what are you? Are you a grad student when it comes to uh, being a student of the game? I feel like I'm an amateur at both. You're an amateur at both? Like amateur survivor and amateur i don't feel like an expert at well life. this is where that this comes in is that uh everyone's an amateur at life and yeah, it, what do you yeah, what do you have to do to become an expert at life i think the better you think you are at life the worse you actually are yeah it's like the guys who like oh i put a bunch of money on this one company and it went berserko and i'm a genius and i'm gonna put out a book about how I know how to invest and all this stuff. You're like, bro, you just got lucky one time. Come on. Yep. Anyways, uh, we're happy to have you, Riley. And uh, with us as well, our uh, producer and sometimes co-host, Ashley Smith. Ashley, how's it going? Pretty good so far. Happy Wednesday, good. y'all. It is Ashley Smith, right? Yes. I have three Ashley Smiths in my life. Really? Yeah. But yours is spelled different. Yours oh, is really? spelled different. I have yeah. three Tyson Apostles in my life. That's really? so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, originally my name was spelled like A-S-H-L-E-E because I was named after E-E? a soap opera um, villains, two soap opera really? villains. Yeah. Two soap opera villains? Yeah, Ashley, Victoria, two soap opera villains okay. of Young and the Restless. And then my mom was like, I hate that idea because it was my dad's idea. So she's like, I hate that idea. So she decided to change the spelling of it. To, okay. Yeah. Give it a little something. Yeah. So it can never be tied back fully to the young villain. and the restless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. That's uh. That's a uh, some fun name history. Uh, Riley, where's your name come from? 
uh, it's my dad's and grandfather's and great grandfather's middle name. They were all mm. Kim and Riley McAtee, Kim and Riley McAtee Jr., Kim and Riley McAtee third, and then they were going to make me the fourth, but I uh, decided to just shift the middle name to a first name. So, okay, I'm sorry, carrying on the name, but I'm not the fourth. Wow, a lot of heritage there too. My yeah. parents saw the name Tyson and liked it. <laughs> That's it. There's no nothing fancy or special. They just saw it somewhere and were like, "That's the name for us." Enough of that. Uh, now that our listeners have all trickled off and we only have the <laughs> diehards here, welcome everybody. Uh, our podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, our Q and A was very very popular and people wanted more, and so we are here to give that to you more of what you want because it's about you. It's about us, but it's also about you, the listeners. Like we did last time, we will have Ashley reading the question, uh, me answering it. And uh, Riley, what are you doing in this whole thing? Right? Uh, just just cracking jokes. I'm comedic relief. Just cracking jokes. Okay. So everybody, expectations high on the uh, laughs. And uh, we're yeah. going to get into it. I'm like, I'm like, Alan, have you seen Barbie yet? <laughs> yes. I haven't. I've heard it's good, though. No, I'm, I'm like Alan. I'm just there. You know, it's confusing. Okay. Well, Alan. Some of our listeners will get that joke. I think most yeah. of them. And by the time this airs, uh, which will be in the future from when we're actually recording, even more people will have seen it and get the joke. So, But it'll be a more dated reference. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, we'll see when that time comes if you truly are the joke cracker of, of the group here. Uh, which I'm hoping you are, but I will find out. Listeners weigh in. Uh, Ashley, how are you? Doing amazing. Doing amazing. Are you ready for these questions? I'm pumped up. I'm ready. Are you? Okay. She's pumped. I'm pumped too. Let's do it. All right. The first question is from Le Portier. Mm -hmm. They ask, what is the behind the scenes like with you and Riley before the podcast starts? Did you know Riley before The Ringer? And have you met him in person? Riley, do you want to field this one since uh, I'll probably do the heavy lifting on all the other ones? Sure. Yeah, I would say so. I feel like the behind the scenes is not that exciting. We, we hop onto a Zoom call and we chat a little bit and then we hit record and then we chat a little bit more so we can, you know, peel off some of those casual listeners like you were uh -huh. saying, get to the hardcore <laughs> fans and then we start, you know, talking, uh, talking Survivor. Um, but we have met in person. Actually. We have which is yeah. fun. Tyson, you you were out in the Bay Area about a year yeah. ago, probably? Yeah. A year and a half, maybe. No? Yeah, maybe a year ago. Was it more than a year ago no, already? No, it's less than a year. I think it was last fall. Less than a year. Yeah. Why were you? It was like a, a poker tournament Yeah, it was a poker thing? tournament, and it was like a week or two before the fall season last year started. So it was probably almost exactly a year ago, maybe not quite, but close. And uh, I was there for a poker tournament, but I was crushing it at slot machines. So I shifted my focus and just Deslots. drained that casino. Yeah. You, so you, you were like, oh, this game of skill slots is actually where I'm going to make Correct. my money. And I walked away okay. with $12,000 in my backpack. Cool. And then we... Uh, $12,000? Wait, That's a why I bought breakfast. That's why I bought breakfast. <laughs> That's true. You. Yes. So we met for breakfast. Uh -huh. uh, you paid because you were, you were, had the hot hand. So um, hot. It was crazy. And yeah. it was delightful. It was great. But we did not know each other before this podcast at all. Yeah, we didn't. So the ringer came to me and said, You're the guy we want for Survivor. And I said, Are you sure? 
And they said, yes. And uh, that <laughs> gave me so much confidence. And I was like, fine, then I'll do it. And uh, it's been that ever since. And they were like, here's uh, your guy, Riley. And I was like, I don't even care who it is. Just give me a guy and let's run. And I'm glad it was you, Riley. I'm glad they picked you. Riley was running this podcast or co-hosting the podcast, at least before I even came into the picture. Uh, the Ringer was covering Survivor or had been for two seasons. How many seasons did you guys do it? No. So we, so The Ringer was formed in 2016. And occasionally I would write like a blog post about Survivor when things got very spicy. I would just be like, ooh, you need to be watching Survivor right now because, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do whatever at the ringer. And then in when Winners at War was coming out, which was also the 20th anniversary of Survivor being on TV, mm-hmm. we did kind of a package of content where we got some of our other staffers to write about Survivor um, and some freelancers and we did like some rankings and and some things like that. And then along with that, we decided to do a little Survivor recap podcast for uh, for Winners at War. And so it was me hosting it and just bringing through different people who work at the Ringer to talk Survivor, but no actual former contestants. So we didn't have like, you know, that inside look at the at the game and whatnot, but we were just kind of celebrating Survivor and having a lot of fun with that season. And then, of course, this crazy thing happened called COVID. And yeah, we didn't have Survivor that. for like two years. So we got to really mm-hmm. rethink like, well, what, what should the podcast actually look like? Um, what would be the best execution of this? And then we brought you in, Tyson. Did you have input on that? Were they like, we want to bring Tyson in? Or were you just like, bring me whoever? I did not have input. I was just told that um, the plan was to, to bring you in. And uh, I was, but I was excited about it. So um, there was no way that the podcast that we'd done for Winners of War could have been continued and sustained for like every other season of yeah. Survivor, we just lost all steam. I got a message from Mallory, Mallory Rubens, one of the elite podcasters at The Ringer. And uh, yes. we had become more than acquaintances, friendly. We'd been friendly on social media because I knew that The Ringer was a fan and that Mallory was a fan of me and they everybody watched Survivor. And... Uh, she reached out to me and was just like, hey, we have this uh, podcast project. We, would you be interested in talking to The Ringer about? And I w- pretended to like play it super cool. And I was like, I don't know how much time I'm going to have, but let's hear what you got. And I immediately was like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> so that's how it started. And we're here now. And uh, I'm proud and happy to call Riley a friend and to have met him in person. Ashley, I'm still looking forward to the day when we can meet in person. One day I'll be up in your neck of the woods or if you want to come down to Scottsdale during uh, uh, bachelorette party <laughs> season in the winter, that's like optimal time to come down here. Man, you had to really search for a reason to come to Scottsdale there. N- no, I was just like, that's like... Oh, in, there are just so you, many different reasons to visit. That were There's so many reasons to visit. The weather in the winter, it doesn't get better than Arizona. But it is also the time where if you're getting married in the winter and you have a bachelor or bachelorette party and it's not in Scottsdale, people are wondering. So like (laughs) any night you go out in Scottsdale in the winter, it's just like bachelor party, bachelorette party, bachelor party, bachelorette party. And you're like, get me out of all of this. But you can't. There's nowhere to escape. Uh, So that's the uh, the origin stories of The Pot Has Spoken and of uh, our trio here. Ashley came on uh, beginning of last season, was it, Ashley? Yeah. And uh, has been with us ever since. They shift through producers once in a while, and we're always a little sad to lose one, but uh, 
happy to make a new friend. And I, I, I don't know. I just assumed, Ashley, you're going to be with us for a while, but uh, don't break our heart. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm here with you guys for a while. I'm really enjoying it. So good. Okay. What do we have next? All right. Uh, this one is from Andy. Mm-hmm. What is one idea for an idol or advantage you would like to implement? And what is one currently in the game you would like to take away? I still go back to this one and people are going to be like, Tyson's regurgitating old stuff. But the candy wrapper idea where you hide the, it's just the instructions to the advantage without any real advantage existing. And then the contestants are just like always on their back foot wondering where this advantage is, who has it, and when it will manifest itself. Uh, That's what I like. Uh, One that's currently in uh, play, I think they need to change the fire making challenge for me. Change it to something else. Fire making is not like the pinnacle of like action packed TV. Sometimes it's fun and with editing, you can make it look close, probably. But I think you could do that with other ones like that uh, swirly ball challenge where they go back and forth. That would be easy to That's set up. That's my favorite challenge in the whole that game. That would be easy to set up at, at uh, the final four. So I think my idea has been a menu of like four challenges based on four different skill sets. And the winner of the final challenge gets to decide which challenge it will be out of the four and which two people will be competing in it. And that way, it gives more power to the person who won the challenge who should have the power in the first place. That's a good answer. I would get rid of the... I I mean, I would get rid of the Final Four challenge in general and just do a a normal vote there again. But uh, I'll say, to get rid of something, uh, I think that the the fake merge, like half merge, the earn the merge twist, Mm -hmm. I think that's run its course for me I'm, I'm over it just let these people merge and let them all vote at the at the merge and let them enjoy a meal yeah if you get to the merge you've already kind of earned it like it like i didn't ever get to a merge and be like this is unearned yeah i don't deserve to be here i've never thought that <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and and i just don't like in general too when people when you have half a tribe that's immune uh-huh. and then they still get to vote on the outcome and it feels like it often ends with somebody who actually wasn't in that bad of a position, just kind of getting screwed. Mm-hmm. And that never feels very good. So that's probably what I'd get rid of. Yeah. And then, oh, an advantage to add to the game. There are so many different ways. I've always wanted to see a season where they just give every contestant an immunity idol to start the season and then never hide any. And just, it's everyone has one. They could all play mm-hmm. them all at the same time or you, you can, can hold them away. You can do whatever you want to do with them. Exactly. And it's so it's just... This is what you get. You all get this one piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. After that, you know, it's whatever it is. This would be my goal in that season if I were playing that season. Get all of the idols played at once. <laughs> would to be to s- secretly get all of the idols, like to tr- make trades so that people are like, oh, this is a one-off trade with Tyson. Do the trade, another trade like that. So you have to cater your sales pitch. Oh, immediately vote that person out. Then you're like, oh, I've got two idols. I just want to I've amass them so that I can play like 10 in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, no sweat, no sweat, no sweat. I mean, you have to get creative and there'd have to be more involved. But I think you could, there's things you could trade away or trade some loyalty or whatever you got to do to get some idols. I think we're building towards, I know that a lot of times the idols expire and there are rules to somewhat prevent this, but I think eventually we'll actually mm-hmm. get it to happen, which is a tribal council 
where enough idols are played and other twists are played that every single person is immune and no one goes home. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, how Suri went home in Game Changers, except yeah. as if Suri yeah, had had an idol eligible. too, and and so yeah. no one would happen. And I think, I think that would be the moment that Jeff Probst's soul like goes to heaven, and he's just he would just be so happy. Yeah, because I honestly think if that did happen, they'd just send everybody back to camp. Yeah, they would. They'd just be like, you're all here. Congratulations. That was crazy. And then it will get talked about. It will happen. I think that it will happen. And this is the first time that I've really ever questioned. But I think the show wants it to happen because it's absurd. Yeah. You know how Jeff Jeff always loves a survivor first? This would be, he would mm-hmm. say that with such gusto. Like, he would be like, that's true. He would. So let's give everybody an idol to start with at the merge. Should anything else, should anything happen at the merge or that's it? You're holding your idol for as long as you can. In a scenario where everyone like a refresh. Oh, no. I, I yeah. think that they wouldn't be given at the merge, but you maybe don't have to say that explicitly to the players so they don't know if more stuff has been added mm-hmm. to the game. But I wouldn't. Oh, I know. I know what you get at the merge. Everybody who's played their idol pre-merge has to go into a uh, challenge where the winner of the challenge gets an idol. Ooh, there we go. So one person can win an idol back that they've already played pre-merge. Does that sort of penalize the people who successfully held on to their idol through the pre-merge? Should they all compete and you have the chance to get another second idol? No, I mean, if you want to, if you think you have a chance to do that, sure. But if you don't, then don't. Okay. The goal with an idol is always to hold on to it as long as possible without getting caught out and being sent home with it in your pocket. And that's always been the balance and it will continue to be the balance. I don't think there's a reality where that doesn't happen, except for like right at the end when it expires, people just play them just to be yeah. safe. That's the only time. I think the expiration on them should be earlier. I think getting all the way to... F- Five before you have to play it, protecting yourself into four, especially with that fire making challenge, is like too much, too too powerful. So they, they expire like six would be the like last six time or seven. you use it. Yeah, yeah, six or six okay. or seven, something like that. You got to get through by the skin of your teeth a couple times there. That the makes end. it harder though to have a tribal council where everyone is immune. That's true. <laughs> which is the which is the goal? <laughs> not not on this three tribe format where you got three people going to tribal council. Okay, Ashley, what do we got next? Uh, This one is from Pete. Pete asks, what was the peanut butter situation like on Winners at War? I've heard that there are a lot more jars than were shown on the show. Who bought them and who shared them with others? All right, so first off, Winners at War, Edge of Extinction, there's this fire token thing where you can find fire tokens or earn fire tokens or sell advantages into the game for fire tokens, which were the, the, you know, this money system. And everyone was saving their tokens because you could buy advantages to the play into the playback reward or into the playback challenge or the win yourself back in challenge. I forget what it's called. And uh, everybody was saving their tokens for that. And I got some tokens pretty early and I thought to myself, you know, if everybody's using these, saving these tokens to get back into the game, then they're all just like negating each other. If everybody has like one advantage going into this thing, then it's like, whatever, then I'm the best I'm doing is bringing myself on even footing with other people. But peanut butter has is so calorie dense and it will keep me fueled and it will keep me mentally fueled and focused and it will do all these things for me. 
do I think it's more advantageous than the than what the advantage in the challenge will be? I don't know. But that's an unknown. I know what peanut butter will do for me. So I thought I'm going to get peanut butter, but has to be a large amount. And I don't think producers were thinking anybody was going to buy the peanut butter. I think they were just like, nah, nobody's buying that. Everybody's going to save up for their advantage. And I get to a interview with a producer and they were like, what are you going to do? They asked me the question, what are you going to do with your fire token? I was like, I think I'm, I'm thinking about getting peanut butter. And they're like, oh, you could see they kind of like brightened up. They're like, wow, okay, whoa, okay, here we go. What, what are you thinking? I was like, I need to see the jar. It has to be big. I'm not doing it for a small jar. It has to be something that lasts days and that I can eat and that I can stash and that I can eat again. And that is, and they're like, okay. And I was like, bring the jar. Let me see it. And then I'll be certain whether or not I'll get it. The next, like, I don't know if it was the next day or later that day, they brought the biggest, it was bigger than a family size jar of peanut butter. And I estimate probably like 14,000 calories of peanut butter. And I was immediately like, oh, and they also let me choose if it was chunky or smooth. I chose chunky. Uh, I just think that extra, especially while you're starving on the island, that extra texture is nice. So I was like, give me the chunky peanut butter. They brought it. I saw the jar. I was like, yes, I am in. So I bought it. First one to buy it. Only one to think of buying it. I got my fire tokens from Parv. She got voted out like immediately after. And I was like, oh, nobody knows that I found this advantage that I have these fire tokens and what I did with them. So I went to her and I just whispered in her ear and I was like, don't tell anybody about the advantage that you got. Uh, I'll share some peanut butter with you. She's like, okay. So like I'd be sleeping in the middle of the night and I would feel like a tug on my toe. And it would be par of just like, give me peanut butter. And so we'd sneak off. I'd bury it in the sand. I'd unbury it and I'd mark it with a seashell. So I'd bury it in the sand, put a seashell on the sand where it was uh, off the beach a ways. And I'd dig it up and I'd open it. And then I'd give her like a little scoop. And then I'd take a big scoop and give her a little scoop, big scoop. And then I'd put it back and I'd be like, okay, that's enough for now. Let's go to sleep. We'll have more tomorrow. I'd put it in the sand. I'd make sure that she went back to camp with me and then I'd wait till she was asleep and then I'd run back out and rehide it somewhere else so that she didn't know where I was hiding it. So I'd always hide it different places unbeknownst to her in case she ever went out to try and get it without me there. Uh, Then when I won my way back in at the merge, uh, apparently Natalie had just amassed so many fire tokens from all the things that she had found on Edge of Extinction that she just started buying jars of peanut butter and sharing them with people. So by the time I got voted out, like a week later again, there was probably four jars in circulation. She had bought a jar for herself that she shared with some of her friends. She bought a jar for another group of people that was sharing it and splitting it amongst themselves. There was a moment when I first got there that I walked up on Rob and Amber, like over an almost empty jar of peanut butter, just scraping it out. I was like, oh, cool. And they're like, oh, do you want some? And Amber's like, don't share any with him. And I was like, well, and, uh, and they were like, okay, you can have some. And they just like the sloppiest, gooeyest, tiniest morsel of peanut butter. They were like, there you go, Tyson. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then, uh, <laughs> then it was all over. Everybody was buying jars of peanut butter because uh, I think that was way more beneficial to maintaining your sanity, maintaining like some, I mean, some energy. Yeah, all, all of it. So I think, that once people got peanut butter, it took a while, but as the catalyst of the peanut butter uh, wars, I think that it was the way to go. So many, many jars were out there. 
Tyson, when you were a pro cyclist, what was your mm-hmm. like pre-ride power food? And was it peanut butter? It was not peanut butter. Uh, I feel like I performed best off of, so it was always about carbo-loading, getting your carbohydrates in. Yeah, was it some gross like energy gel or something? Or was it like normal food? No, it was normal food for, for like pre-race, like the day before and the night. So the night before, uh, pasta, rice, or potatoes was generally the base. And I feel like rice was the best for me. So I usually would have some type of rice meal. Um, and then uh, morning before, I wasn't too picky, just like it was Europe. So it was like muesli and <laughs> yogurt and toast or eggs yeah. or whatever. While racing, you always have like the powder, drink powder stuff and the goose and the but also you're on your bike for six hours. So like there were like ham and cheese sandwiches wrapped in tinfoil and everything. There was a lot of stuff. Yeah. So if you were out training, we'd, we'd always just stop at a bakery, uh, European bakery. So you just stop somewhere and, uh, you know, get a pastry and, uh, and an espresso and keep going. Nice. So, yeah, uh, I did do peanut butter sandwiches, peanut butter and honey sandwiches. That was pretty good energy. But the Europeans are not big on peanut butter. They were kind of disgusted by it. <laughs> and I even got in an argument with somebody that was just like, you never put salty and sweet together. And I was like, you never put salty and sweet together? Salty and sweet is like the best. Well, I, I was like, well, what about like uh, hazelnuts and chocolate? And they're like, fine, fine. I guess that one thing. And I was like, yeah, what about? And But they couldn't, they couldn't wrap their head around the peanut butter and honey or the peanut butter and uh, jam. jam or jelly. Yeah. They were just like, you're disgusting. Yeah. And uh, I think they still feel that way. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. What else we got, Ashley? We have a long one from Marshall. Mm -hmm. 
Marshall asks, do you think it's now a trend for players to try and not show much or any negative emotion when they lose a challenge or get eliminated? I think of Carson getting eliminated at fire in 44 as one example. He seems super positive about his experience, but it was bizarre that there was no sadness or frustration that he just lost his chance to win. Maybe I'm seeing a trend where there isn't one, but people don't seem to show the raw feelings as much. And I wonder if you guys agree and have any idea why that is. Love the pod. So thank you, first of all, uh, for loving the pod. Uh, But the thing is, is when you get voted out, this has always been, I think even my first time, my first time getting voted out, you get voted out and you want to be so petty and you want to be like, fuck all of you guys. I hope that all of you lose simultaneously and also get hurt simultaneously and all get medevaced simultaneously. And then that you're permanently forever disfigured simultaneously so that you can't even go back to your regular lives. Like that's what you're thinking in your head. But you also know that you're on TV and you're like, gotta play it so cool. Like it doesn't even matter. Like I'm happy for everybody because I don't want the fans to think that I'm a bitter Betty. And then there's a balance where the fans enjoy a little bit of pettiness, but also want you to be like human. And so like, that's the balance you're going for. And it's also dependent on your personality. So I think that that definitely plays a factor. Like anybody who's too negative when they get voted out, here's it from the fans and it, you know, you know, gets shit on a little bit and then going too far positive people generally like are fine with, they're like, Oh, what a cool guy. That's cool that he doesn't care that he just lost a million dollars. So cool. And, and then there's the balance of being like, I understand that losing a million dollars sucks super bad and I'm super pissed, but also like I got to shrug it off. And that's kind of been like my thing. And I think now, I think so, so. So I think people are just in general more aware, uh, even in the moments when they're filming, of how the fans are probably going to react to their reactions. And then also, it's mostly super fans on the show now, if not all super fans. And so I think there's that added extra, like, this has been their dream for however many years. And to finally have it, they're happy that they're there. One of their dreams was to get their torch snuffed by Jeff, whatever, this and that. So I think there's that. So I think that those two factors combine make for uh, many more positive exits than what uh, we've had uh, in the past. I think that there's also an element of reality TV and probably Survivor more specifically just evolving a little bit where I think that the show used to like relish when there was like conflict. Like if two people fought, they were like, this is like what we're here for. And that was definitely going to make it into the yeah. final cut. Whereas now I think they're more likely to to shy away from some of those moments, maybe not all of them, but it feels like now there's an effort to, to make audiences really like every single player that's out there. Whereas before it was like, Nope, we're going to turn this person into a villain or we're going to show this big blow up fight or whatever. And sometimes now you hear like, Oh, there was this big fight and it just didn't make it into the episode. And I'm like, ah, man, 10 years ago, that, that would have been like the highlight of the episode, which maybe is a bad thing. No, I think, you're right there. And I, I like to see those moments. That's what I like on TV. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's this insane fight. And these guys are both ridiculous. And they're both wrong. But uh, like, they both have points and they've turned like personal attacks, whatever. 
we, I got an email from uh, CBS, the Survivor family that went out, and they're now uh, prepping contestants for when they exit to go back to normal life, to deal with the pressures of social media, to deal with this and that. And I think those pressures are much greater than they have been in the past, and people aren't prepared for them. And I think uh, production uh, is much more aware yeah. of how social media negativity directed at you can affect you emotionally and mentally. And so I think now they are taking more steps to make sure that these people have a positive experience, even in the post season and post show. And, you know, after that, I think that that is, is also coming into play. There is, uh, before, like production was just like, we're making the best TV. We're going to make the most polarizing TV. We're going to, you know, and if it makes someone look like a real jerk because they were a jerk, but we're just highlighting that, then so be it. And now I don't think they necessarily step away from that all the time, but they're more measured. Yeah. Ashley. We have a question from Hunter. He says, thanks for doing this. You're the goat. That's right. Two questions from Hunter here. Is there any survivor player you'd be nervous sitting in the end with? Winners at war, I thought like Kim and Jeremy would give me the greatest run in the final based on personality and being able to articulate uh, what you did in an entertaining and humble enough way, but also a way that also you claim your moves. And looking back, I think I would have been fine against either one of them. And I, at one point in my survivor career, told people in casting that if given the opportunity to argue my case in front of any jury on any survivor season, I would be victorious over anyone that's ever. And I still kind of maintain that. (laughs) Riley, do you disagree? Uh, I feel like the jury typically already has a winner in mind in most. Right. And I'm the most beloved. Yeah. There's very few people who dislike me and the people that do dislike me, it actually does me a service that they dislike me in winning other votes more strongly. Got it. I don't know. I think it... it he still doesn't, still doesn't I think, agree. I just... Well, it, it depends so much on the season and who's on the jury and like what they're looking for and like what you would have done in these hypothetical seasons to get there. I think not. I'm self-aware enough that... I can win friends over very easily. I don't know. I uh, and, and I mean, <laughs> I mean that like I was winning winners <laughs> at war. I was winning winners at war. If I got to the final, I was winning. The only way it wasn't a guarantee guarantee was if I flubbed a little bit and Tony was there. And that is because I am very good with people. I can see what they need and when they need it. And in those moments where you're out on the island and life sucks, I can become your best friend. And if that's all you have out there, that goes a long way. So uh, I'm very good at seeing when people are struggling and pinpointing what they're struggling with and confronting them on it in a way that's supportive. And so I don't think a lot of people uh, who play Survivor have that ability as well as I do, where I can look at Riley and be like, oh, he's struggling with something today. Let me figure it out. And then I can talk to him about it. And then be like, hey, bro, uh, it seems like you're having an off day. You know, everybody's missing home. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, Riley's like, he took, he had a human moment with me in this game that's cutthroat. You're voting for me at the end, no matter what. Is that why you were sharing peanut butter with Parvati? 
No, I was sharing that with her so that she would keep my secret that I had peanut butter in the first place. Uh, yeah, I think even even that stuff, like being able to joke and have fun on the edge and keep things light and, you know, all of that. So I still maintain that. I maintain that in a final tribal council with uh, your choosing uh, any other contestants, as long as you've given me enough time with the other contestants, a season full of time with the other contestants, I will win. All right. Hunter's second question mm-hmm. is, how would Johnny Bananas do on Survivor? And why do I feel like he'd be a pre-merge boot? <laughs> so, I've only played the challenge once. A lot of people say it's not the real challenge. I don't even know what the real challenge is anymore, uh, based on what I'm seeing on TV. But it's such an easier game as far as strategy goes. Survivor is 100% staying mentally tough, strategizing, and political, you know, it's like social and political. And the challenge is not even a fraction of that. The challenge is like, get muscles and bang your chest, and then people are scared to go against you. And if you have a couple people doing that all at the same time, then easy game. Survivor is always changing. You have to be adaptable. You have to move with the punches. You get the rug pulled out from under you many, many times. And I think that Bananas would not do great as first time. Let's put them in there a few times. You know, like there's a learning curve to Survivor as well. And it's different. And so I think that, uh, I think it will take a get, little getting used to. He has the brain that he could do it, but yeah. Like if he, if he played a season of Survivor, you know, pl- players would recognize him. They're... There would be enough. They cast all these super fans. There'd be enough people who also watch Maybe. the challenge. Yeah, that could be. But what if it's all or mostly challengers or doing like what they're doing on the challenge? Oh, USA, like where they're it. bringing all these people desperate to be on TV back to a Survivor season. Well, I just mean that, like, like what? in there's no scenario where he could play a season of Survivor. A and nobody knows anything about him. Like he comes in with a reputation. Yeah, but that's also part of that's also part of playing. It's yeah. like. I came in on Blood versus Water and Tina sobbed to me saying that she had thought I was a horrible person based on what she'd seen on TV. And I was like, yeah, that's accurate. But also, like, I know how to turn it on. <laughs> I'm not a horrible person. I just like play the game cutthroat. And also, you know, TV's you don't TV. see a lot of me being personable on. Yeah. So I think like if you know your audience and you know their perception of you and can morph that into what you want their perception of you to be, then you hold all the cards. So if Bananas can do that, then he's fine, which is a different shift than what he's doing on the challenges right now, where he's like going on and banging his chest and posting, uh, you know, boxing videos on his Instagram to get people to think that he's working out extra, like whatever it is. So it's just totally different game. So different. And some people will be great at both. And some people will be great at one or the other. And some people will be terrible at both. We have one last question. This is from Grant. A former Survivor winner lives in my neighborhood, just a few houses down. Should I try to make friends with her with the hope that she will recommend me to the producers and get me on Survivor? Uh, no. I think there's many reasons I yeah. have to tell you <laughs> to not stalk your neighbor. People love that when a friendship is purely transactional. That's a, a great mm-hmm. way to build a good bond. Love it. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that even if like, Grant, if you're my neighbor and you're a couple and I fall in love with you, whatever, we're best friends and I recommend you to casting. 
that's all I can do. Like all they're going to watch your video anyways. They watch every video that comes through. They might watch it with like a little extra focus because I recommended you, but that's all you're getting. You're not getting like that much more from having a connection. And sometimes it can hurt you. Like a lot of people like are like, hey, Tyson, you want to be in my uh, my application video? I was like, I don't think this is going to help you. It might not. Like all you're doing is reminding them of me. And then they're going to call me for the next all-star thing. It's fun to be a fan. And it's fun that uh, you live by this winter and uh, definitely be friends to be friends and be neighborly to be neighborly. But to get recommended for the show, it's so much less advantageous than I think people believe it, it to be. Like you still, on your own merit, have to earn your way on the show. Be neighborly to be neighborly, Grant, because that's a good thing to do and to have a great neighborhood. But uh, to try and get on Survivor, not a real leg up. I think we also had a question on social media about uh, if Jeff, if if I was given the opportunity to host the show, would I host the show? And if called to be invited back, would I participate? Like, if you asked me to host the show, yeah, I would definitely take that opportunity. But I don't think that they that will ever happen. I don't think that anybody's calling me to host the show. Uh, I don't think a former uh, contestant will be the future host of Survivor. Uh, I think it will be someone that is a hosting professional that will come in. Would I go back and play? The conditions would have to be so perfect. Like, I don't foresee myself ever playing again. What but kind of conditions do you mean? My current life conditions, like where am I at? Where are my kids at? Where, what am I doing outside of Survivor? Can I afford to take uh, a 26 plus a week off uh, to do the show? Uh, also, what kind of season is it? Is it a full all-star? Is it a half all-star? Is it? something special is it the last season if it's the last season of survivor of all time i might be a little more convinced to do it just out of, there'll be no last season of survivor of all time there you go so then that makes it'll be me like saying no it's like easier. the american idol where they'll be like oh last season then like a year later they'll be like it's returns yeah like the eagles in their final reunion yep. tours uh they're on like number five <laughs> so i yeah I don't foresee myself saying yes again, but I think in certain scenarios, I could be convinced. Okay, uh, question off of that. If you were the host, what would you change? Like, for, like from a hosting perspective, what would you change? From a hosting perspective, what would I change? Like, what would I do differently than what Jeff yeah, is like doing? Yeah, not like the advantages and, and stuff like we talked about earlier, but like what, uh, yeah, as host, what would you change about the show? I mean probably just keep the formula the same except for i would bring my own brand of personality and humor to that hosting position okay i revel in the ridiculous and the humorous and i would definitely highlight all of that every time i uh was at a challenge or at tribal council and so jeff has the formula down it's just now yeah. like do you have the personality that can fit that same formula or, you know, even not necessarily make it better, but make it your own while still maintaining its, uh, its tradition. Okay. What do you think, Riley? Am I fit to be the host? I would watch a survivor season with you as the host for sure. Just one, or you'd watch a full one and then let's see, see how the first, let's then. see how the first one goes and then see, see where we're at. Okay. 
No, okay. I, feel, I feel like actually you'd, it would take a while to figure out sort of how to host the show. Like, I think there would be like a learning curve there too. I think maybe to be efficient with it, but there you can edit so many things. Yeah. Like they say so often that Jeff doesn't hardly take a second take. That's true, but he sometimes does. And if a new host needs to take more second takes, that's fine. They'll figure it out. They'll make the show great. I don't think that that's, it might take a little longer to begin but I, with. I don't mean like flubs like that. I mean that like even figuring out what your takes should be and stuff, you know, because you don't want to do like the Jeff Probst impression. So you don't want to be doing like, you got to dig deep during challenges and stuff like that. And so figuring out like what those things are for you might actually take a few seasons. Yeah. Uh, you just hire a team of writers to come up with all your catchphrases. They're all on strike. You can't hire them. That's true. Uh, let me think. <laughs> you guys, you're on um, your own. Mm, on my own. I'll come up with stuff. We'll toy around. Uh, probably just a lot of like uh, full tilt boogie stuff. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I'm saying. You got. You can't do full tilt boogie. Jeff already did that. Club condo then. I'll do club condo. Okay. So club condo is all mine. All right. Ashley, Riley, thank you so much. Uh, that was entertaining for you. I already knew all of it in my head. Uh, but I'm glad to share that information. And uh, thank you all for listening. We will be back in a couple weeks with more off-season coverage. What that is, is a surprise. So until then, uh, what do I usually say? Oh, yeah. See ya. See ya.